0: The Problem of Leaving On the way to our first lake, Lola and I were talking about our friend Mark and how his friend had left him. Paul Simon said there were 50 ways, but Lola and I agreed there were two broad categories, regular and sudden. Mark's wife had left suddenly. He'd come home from work and she was gone, packed up all her stuff, and cleared out in eight hours flat. It was almost impressive. We agreed the sudden leaver ought to leave a note. It was the least you could do. Otherwise, the person left would think he'd been robbed and you'd been kidnapped and he'd call the police and start shifting around assets for ransom money. Poor Mark. We agreed that this had happened to someone famous. I said David Brooks, Lola said George Will. So we agreed on profession and political party. No one would leave a Democrat, at least not suddenly. This was the January we gave up alcohol. Lowell made every month a challenge. We were driving to a place where we could do a long hike because that was what people who didn't drink did. We were going to get healthy. But first, a cigarette. We'd give those up some month down the road. I don't want to leave you, Lola said after we'd arrived at the lake as we walked through the forest. And it was true. She didn't. Not yet. Thanks, I said. We were used to pavements, and we walked gingerly, like the dirt might be covering a hole or a body. But if I did leave, she said, Sudden would be the way to go. What would you do if you came home from work and I had packed up and left? I don't work, I reminded her, which was a nice trick, me reminding her of this instead of the other way around. We were in nature, so everything was the opposite of usual. Hiking was great. Pretend, she said. You work in an office you hate, you get 15-minute smoke breaks, and you come home one day at five, and I packed up everything and left. You have too much stuff, I said. You'd never make it out in eight hours. I'd come home. I'd find you sobbing in the bedroom. Everything would be a mess. The closet's still half full. You'd be trying to stuff a hundred shoes into a suitcase. I'd say, what are you doing? And you'd say, oh, hi, honey, just reorganizing, cleaning out the closet. Oh, stop, she said. I could do it. You could never pull it off, I said. Gotta live light for that kind of getaway. Better start giving things away now, I advised. It will take you a year to get ready. I'd love to see the look on your face, she said. The point of leaving suddenly, I reminded her, is that you don't have to. We were getting tired, breathing heavy. The hike was almost over. So that was January. We drove long distances to do short hikes. We walked around lakes, or started to, but the lakes were rumors. We could never quite find them, and for the first time, I wished we lived somewhere colder, where trees bared, and you could see where you were in the world. The lakes were teases. Sometimes we'd hear waves lapping, ducks quacking, or a motor purring. We always turned back. There was one lake we made it all the way around, but the lake was very small, and even then we couldn't see it. The trees hid everything. The first morning of February, we went out to brunch and got drunk on mimosas. Wola told me her new project, a declutter challenge. On February 1st, which she noted was today, she'd get rid of one thing. Tomorrow she'd get rid of two things. The next day, three things. The next day, four. I thought she was going to go through the whole month. On the 22nd, you get rid of 22 things. On the 23rd, you get rid of 20. But she skipped to the end of February. You'd have gotten rid of 406 things. You meaning you, I said. Yes, me. you don't have 406 things to get rid of. "'I will get rid of 406 total possessions. "'Unless it's a leap year,' I said. "'But it's not a leap year,' she said. "'Isn't it?' "'We were so very drunk.' "'When we got home, she put her favorite candle by the door. "'That's almost burned up anyway,' I said. "'Baby steps.' "'She kissed me on the forehead. "'And the next day she put out a blanket from Mexico "'and a textbook she'd ordered on the Internet "'when she swore she was going to register "'a an in the evening class in economics.' On the third day, a mug from her alma mater, two friends' DVDs. She watched the rest all night and put them out the next day along with a belt that looked like 40 other belts she owned. You should focus on getting rid of belts, I told her. Belts and shoes, save everything else for another month. All month, she put out belts and shoes and silverware and photographs of us. She assured me it would all go to goodwill, to good use. I didn't get nervous until March 1st, when she got rid of 29 things. The next day, 30. I thought this was just a February thing, I said. I'm not done decluttering, said Lola. Weren't you saying I had too much stuff? She put her childhood stuffed bunny by the door next to an alarm clock, a mirror, and a tangle of socks and purses. She'd clung to that bunny every night, but that night she clung to me while she snored. and I clung back, she was letting go of everything so she would be able to pack quickly when the day came, I knew. I wanted to dig my nails into her. I wanted to superglue her to me. On April 1st, she got rid of 59 things, including the television. Our landlord asked if we were moving out. Look at the sacrifices I'm making for love, Lowell told him. I was digging through the box of books next to our TV. Some of these are mine, I said. But do you actually read them? Remember, I told Wolf, I don't work. I don't come home from anywhere. And I made sure not to. I never left. I skipped a doctor's appointment. I ordered in. I canceled lunch with my father. I stayed home in our emptying house. I pretended it was a new apartment we were moving into. Our things had not yet arrived. We were starting fresh. But she was so very sneaky, Lola. It was one of the things I'd loved about her in the first place. One day in late April, she walked out the door to get coffee. The coffee maker was long gone. And she did not come back. Only the clothes on her back. Another week and she'd have gone naked. I was ready, alert, and still, she got me. She left a few things. Her crockpot, her duvet, I hated her falling apart sweater, along with a note regarding them. What remains is not important. Do as you will. Walla. I found the note on my pillow, which was a place she'd left notes when we'd been in the note-leaving stage of our relationship. I wasn't sure what to do with what she'd left behind. I asked Mark for advice, but he said his wife had taken literally everything I considered a ceremonial burning. But if these left-behinds had meant nothing to her, why should their destruction mean anything to me? All the good stuff she'd given away. Probably they were now dispersed among homeless men and frugal old ladies. Sometimes, though, I imagined a beautiful young woman had collected all Lola's things, the whole kit and caboodle package from goodwill. She was assuming Lola's life. She had the thin blouses, the pizza slicer, the shoes and shoes and shoes. Then it was only a matter of time before she would assume me. I'd know better this time. I would make no mistakes. Years later, I ran into Lola in an ice cream shop in San Francisco. My wife and I were on vacation, where the rule was you could have ice cream for any meal. I was holding two ice creams, which made a hug difficult. I explained both cones were not for me, which may have sounded aggressive. Lola had one cone. She was not on vacation. She only lived there. But she was there having ice cream on a Tuesday morning anyway. My husband walked out on me, was said, a sudden leaving. How's that for karma? Really? No. She flashed her teeth, still impossibly white. Never married. How's that for karma? She sounded happy, though. You can never know with an ex, can you, whether they're just putting on airs. She seemed not to have aged, and I was aware of my gut, my receding hairline. She looked out through the window and pointed. Is that your wife? Yes, I said. She's lovely, which was a lie, but I was lying, too. The woman Lola had pointed to wasn't my wife. My wife was down by the harbor, looking at the seals lounging on the docks, and she was more beautiful than the woman outside the window, though not as beautiful as Lola. I wanted to maintain a wall. Lola and my wife were so different, I didn't think the universe could stand a meeting of the two. Lola waved her dripping cone to the not-lovely woman outside the window. The woman happily waved back. Since Lola was being charitable to this fake wife, I told her, "'You know, you were right that one time.'" "'Oh, only that one time?' "'About who'd been left,' I said. "'It was George Will. It wasn't David Brooks.'" She said she wouldn't tell me she'd told me so. I thought of a sign I'd once seen. "'It is never too late in a relationship to make it better.'" "'Except you got the details wrong,' I told Lola. His wife didn't move out and take her stuff. She didn't leave at all. She just threw all his stuff on the lawn." His baseball books? His baseball books, bow ties, Reagan trading cards, it was all there. Did you leave a note? Yes, it said Take it somewhere else, Buster. Buster, Lola said. Ha. I wish I'd called you Buster. I wish I'd just thrown your stuff out on our lawn. What did you even own anyway? A few T shirts, a typewriter? It would have saved me so much trouble. It would have saved me so many things. She wasn't crying, but she must have thought she was crying, because she moved her hand up to wipe her cheek, but she used the cone hand. Then she had ice cream on her cheek, and I wanted to rub it in or lick it off. I couldn't decide which. Now it's your turn, she said. I'm ready. I left her. Outside, with Lola watching through the window, I kissed my fake wife, a peck on her cheek. Again, she was pleasantly surprised. Then I went to the harbor to my real real wife, and I kissed her too.